Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Thanocrates, and in this week's episode, we are looking at the Oresteia by Ischius. Now, the Oresteia is basically a trilogy and is made up of three plays in total. Agamemnon, the Libation Bearers, and the Eumenides. And the way this podcast is going to go is I'm going to start by summarizing each of the plays, talk about my own personal views of it, some deeper themes, and uh, conclude by just giving some final thoughts. So in the first play, Agamemnon, Aeschylus depicts his victorious return from the Trojan War and his murder by his wife, Clytemnestra, as revenge for sacrificing their daughter, Iphigenia, so their Greek troops could set sail and lay siege on Troy. And Clytemnestra was also conspiring with Aegisthus, Agamemnon's cousin, who wanted revenge on Agamemnon for his father, uh, Thyestes, who was killed by Agamemnon's father, Atreus. And at the play's end, Clytemnestra and Aegisthus end up ruling Argos. The second play, Libation Bearers, takes its title from the chorus of women servants who come to pour offerings at the tomb of Agamemnon. And it details the revenge of Agamemnon's daughter Electra and his son Orestes. Orestes slays Aegisthus, but uh, his subsequent murder of Clytemnestra is committed reluctantly at the god Apollo's bidding. Orestes' attempts at self-justification falter, and he eventually flees guilt-racked, maddened, and pursued by the female incursions of his mother's curse, the Furies, gorgon-headed monsters. The third play, Eumenides, opens at the shrine of Apollo at Delphi, where Orestes is taken sanctuary from the Furies. At the command of the Delphic oracle, Orestes journeys to Athens to stand trial for his matricide. There, the goddess Athena organizes a trial of the jury of citizens. The Furies are his accusers. Apollo is advocate and the court case begins. The jury is evenly divided in its vote, and Athena casts a tie-breaking vote for Orestes' acquittal. The Furies then turn their vengeful resentment against the city itself, but Athena persuades them in return for a home and cult to bless Athens instead and reside there as Eumenides, which basically means just kind goddess, which is the play's title. The trilogy thus ends with the cycle of retributive bloodshed ended and supplanted by the rule of law and the justice of the state. Something I found myself considering is whether Clytemnestra was justified in murdering Agamemnon. In the first play, after the murder, she talks about the injustice that was the sacrifice of her daughter and how the chorus of all men who are speaking out against her acts now were silent before. And, you know, I feel some sympathy towards Agamemnon. I mean, the entire Greek army is stranded in Aulis, literally a thousand ships waiting to go lay siege in Troy having been promised unfathomable amounts of treasure, glory, and now the only way to get off the island is by sacrificing this poor girl. I mean, it's not exactly the easiest of decisions, and it shows the kind of leader Agamemnon is. And one of the things that was interesting is this idea of a cycle of bloodshed, and uh, not only how deep it goes in the House of Atreus, all the way down to Tantalus, to Thyestes, to Atreus himself, but also because of the imagery in the play, the parallels created. created. Before the first play, when Iphigenia was sacrificed <clears throat> and her body laid on the floor, when Clytemnestra killed Agamemnon, his body laid in the floor, and when Orestes murdered Aegisthus he th- and his mother, he threw their body in the same spot they threw his father's. And this links to this uh, this conflict between the new and the old gods, the old gods, the Furies and Apollo and Athena. 
at the beginning of the libation bearers, there is no contradiction between the will of the Furies and the will of Apollo, the thought to be one. But by the end of it, we see the split developing between the two orders. The Furies represent the ancient primitive laws and demand that blood must always be paid for with blood. Apollo compels Orestes to avenge his father, but then suggests that the cycle of violence will end, as he will now have to die in recompense. <clears throat> Sorry, in recompense for his crimes. In the Eumenides, this theme is fully developed, as the Furies are tamed and relegated to a far less powerful position in society. It is also significant that the Furies are female deities, whilst Apollo is masculine, and thus Aeschylus equates civilization and progress with male influences. And he's basically stating that in order for society to prosper, the female powers must be subdued. And this shows, as shown through the reaction of the chorus of the old men to, uh, to Iphigenia's death and to the death of their leader, and, let's be honest, to the death of Cassandra, which they completely negate. The parallels are quite interesting to look at, and it's also interesting to see how the cycle of bloodshed started due to divine intervention, i.e. Artemis forcing Agamemnon to sacrifice his daughter, and how it ended thanks to divine intervention. Athena's deciding vote in the humanities. It was, I think, the only happy ending I've ever read in a Greek tragedy, which was quite nice because I like Orestes. He's not your typical Achilles sort of hero. He's a more God-fearing type. And uh, I think the amount of guilt he showed before he killed his mother is greatly exaggerated. And while I understand the hesitation before killing someone isn't really shown in ancient Greek literature, or maybe I'm just not that versed enough, but uh, I think people have really picked it apart. I read it, and I was just thinking that there was, like, one moment of hesitation before it, and he asks, basically asks his friend Pylades what he should do. Pylades just says, listen, this is what Apollo has said, and then Orestes just goes in for the kill, and he doesn't care about it, anything. He doesn't care about anything else. Um, this like uh, The links to the... Uh, one of the major themes in the uh, play, which is the lack of clarity between right and wrong. And, uh, yeah, at times people can find Aeschylus rather overwhelming in his complexity, but it's the same complexity that compels us to return to him time and time again. And one of the manifestations of this is that there are no clear good guys, bad guys, but men and women who are faced with impossible choices. And Agamemnon, Clytemnestra, and Orestes are all caught between a really difficult place. Orestes' situation uh, pits his duties as a son to Agamemnon against his duties as a son to Clytemnestra. You know, if he doesn't murder Clytemnestra, the Furies will pursue him, and he'll have and he'll have failed as a son to Agamemnon. But if he does murder her, the Furies still pursue him, and he's failed as a son to Agamemnon. There's no completely right or wrong answer, but uh, Aeschylus tells us there are. There are better and worse choices. Since Apollo has thrown his way behind the path of vengeance on Agamemnon's side, Orestes chooses to comply with his commands. In fulfilling his duty towards Apollo and his father, Orestes condemns himself to suffering. You know, he chooses to make this sacrifice, and that's another reason I uh, quite like Orestes. He's willing to make the hard choices, like his father almost. And this links to the difficult nature of inheritance. You know, the Orestes teaches us that while we cannot choose how we are born, 
we can choose how to appro- approach that birthright. In returning to Argos to pursue this terrible quest, Orestes shows himself to be a noble character. He does not flee from destiny, but calls upon his father's spirit and his mother's resolve in order to do what must be done. As the only son of a murdered father, Orestes is fated to avenge his death. He approaches his fate with some sort of sophistication and grace, never wavering in his conviction that he's doing the right thing, but also never sinking to the point of reveling in the slaughter, which I think Agamemnon, which is kind of the Agamemnon style, to be honest, in Trojan War. Towards the beginning of the play, Orestes says that he's returned to Argos in order to claim his inheritance. By this, he means the kingdom that is rightfully his. However, implicit in the statement is the idea that he must claim his share in the destructive bloodshed that has plagued this house for generations. Clytemnestra sent him away as a child so that he might escape his fate, but in order to claim his inheritance become a man, Orestes must return to the origin of his misery and confront it head-on. And it's, uh, it's cool to see that they all have these great challenges to face and, like, these different types of heroes like Hercules to face the 12 labors, Achilles, Trojan War, Theseus, he had his 12, uh, 12 something, whatever, it was not as good as Hercules. But uh, yeah, whilst theirs, I guess, were more physical and more challenging, I guess this was more emotionally devastating and mentally challenging. And it's cool to see the kind of parallels between them and how, whilst it's obviously not as physically challenging. It's still almost as most, almost as much as uh, difficult, nonetheless. One theory I had, and pair with me on this, is that the Furies could be a manifestation of Orestes' guilt, and they're constantly following him wherever he goes, whether that be to the Oracle at Delphi or the Acropolis at Athens, and once will only disappear thanks to divine intervention. The same way this blood cycle ends thanks to divine intervention, it ends because of divine intervention and the cause stating his innocence. I feel the ending would be better if they sort of <clears throat> ignored the Furies being celebrated in Athens and just ended it with a happy Orestes walking off into the sunset. I think that would have been perfect ending despite how corny it sounds. But uh, I feel like the Eumenides, the sorry, the uh, the Furies themselves, it was just, they weren't exactly the... Uh, well, I don't understand the reason to, I guess it's to show that the old gods have come to terms with the new gods the same way this cycle of bloodshed has come to an end as well. And another large theme of that is gender roles in the humanities and the divide between the sexes displayed. And the first of these clashes comes between the female chorus of Furies, obviously the humanities, and the male uh, and Apollo. And Apollo is outraged at the Furies to dare to fire him and continue to plague Orestes. And so they take stand Orestes in trial. And at the trial, uh, Apollo goes further to assert that men are alone for the creation of children. And as an example, he uses Athena herself. So the myth goes, sprang fully grown from Zeus's head. Her very existence, Apollo states, proves that men alone can conceive children which means that men deserve the children's fealty to a greater degree than women do. And Athena is sort of a contradictory figure. I mean, on one hand, she is a strong, independent woman, which is a rare thing in Greek drama. I guess it isn't for a deity, you mean. But uh, on the other hand, she sides with the masculine Apollo and Orestes and helps defeat the male Furies. But I guess that's combated by the fact that she ends up uh, helping them out towards the end and having them being worshipped in Athens.
she stated that she states that she is my father's uh, my father's child and that she will honor the male in all things but marriage and athena obviously the virgin goddess although she is a symbol of feminine power even athena ultimately bows before the patriarchy and it links back to this idea that uh, Aeschylus tries to put into his place that male for in order for the males to prosper and in order for civilization to prosper the female power must be subdued and because of this strict divide between characters and ideas, the humanities is a tale of justice and civilization prevailing over vengeance and savagery could also be seen as a story of men prevailing over women. The equation of men with positive aspects and women with negative aspects was a common part of classical Greek literature and is found throughout most Greek tragedies at that. In how it compares to the only other existing trilogy in Greek literature, the three Theban plays by Sophocles, Oedipus, Oedipus Rex, and Oedipus Colonus, sorry, Antigone, Oedipus Rex, and Oedipus Colonus. I would have to side with Oedipus on this one. I don't know what it is, but uh, Sophocles' style of writing is just so much more appealing to me in its character descriptions, in its advancement of the plot, and its ability to retain your interest, even through certain scenes which may be less exciting than others. And I really had that problem with the the Oresteia. For example, the uh, second play, Libation Bearers, the first five minutes of the play is just um, Electra meeting, uh, pouring libations for Agamemnon, and meeting an Orestes in disguise. It doesn't reveal he's Orestes. And they basically just drone on for these five pages, and it's some of the most boring parts of Greek literature I've ever had read. But uh, obviously, the trilogy as a whole was good. It was just the individual parts that made up some of the plays that weren't exactly as interesting. And that's just... It's not necessarily in criticism of Aeschylus's writing, because like I've said, I did enjoy the play. It's just an explanation of whom I prefer. And even though his primary focus in the Oresteia was ethics, justice, crime, punishment, the gender roles being displayed, and changes in the social order, the subjective, emo- subjective emotions and the psychologies of characters are conveyed powerfully. Orestes is not really heroic in a Homeric sense, but he provi- presents a less egoistic and more God-fearing type of man in a tormenting pursuit of righteousness, a personality I prefer much more than the typical stock of hero we often find in Greek literature. And you have to give props to Aeschylus for that. He definitely made you care about the protagonist. Okay, guys, so I think that will be a wrap to the episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, this episode is a bit of a short one, but uh, for the next one, we'll definitely have some guests on the show. So uh, stay tuned for that and we'll see you in the next one.